to, we have our uh, Victorious Live. We are on week five out of six weeks going through the book of Acts. And uh, as we're going through the book of Acts, we're looking at particular individuals and looking at real life examples of how the Holy Spirit, how God helps us have a victorious life here. How do we overcome the biggest things that are the challenges that really trip up most believers? And so um, today we're going to talk about one that uh, I think is very timely, but I think that it's always timely. And, and that's this, how do we overcome the difficulties of this world when, when the problems of life just hit, right? When our circumstances aren't what we would hope for, how do we overcome them and have a victorious and joy-filled life here? And so big things. So in order to do that, we're going to first get our memory verse. And it's coming to us today from Romans chapter 5, verse 4. Paul writes this. We're actually following um, some of uh, Paul's amazing story today. And this is what Paul writes. This is from um, God's Word translation. I liked it because it was succinct. It says this, We know that suffering creates endurance, and endurance creates character, and character creates confidence. Isn't that amazing? Now let's talk about power to persevere. Um, there's a, there's a, a movie out that just came out about some superheroes. I don't know if you've maybe heard about it. And, and God has a superpower for us, perseverance. And it's really not the superpower most people want. It's not like you want to rip your shirt off. I'm perseverance, man. I can go through all kinds of suffering. <laughs> Bring it on. You're not going to kill me, right? But there is power in this. This world is too much. It is overwhelming. But God gives us the ability not just to survive in this life. He gives us the ability to overcome our circumstances. And he does that by giving us this amazing ability, this supernatural ability, because the Holy Spirit is helping us to persevere. And it's, it's an amazing thing. And perseverance really helps us when you find yourself sitting and you say, what do I do? This is too much. How do I handle this? I, I can't see a way out. Life is hard. I want to give up. I would give up if I could give up. What do I do? And that is when God helps us with this, with perseverance. And, and I want you to know, the guy who wrote that passage that we just memorized, suffering creates endurance, endurance creates character, character creates confidence. This was a guy who knew a little thing about suffering. In fact, I'm going to tell you a little story about this man, Paul, who writes that. There's a journey that Paul took. Um, Acts 16 kind of tells the story. Paul, the Apostle Paul, spread the gospel throughout the entire world at that point that they knew of. I mean, it was, it was pretty amazing. And then after his third missionary journey, he knew he had to go back to Jerusalem. And he knew that if he went to Jerusalem, he was going to end up in chains and probably die. In fact, other Christians on his way back to Jerusalem said to Paul, don't do it. One of them actually took a belt off and bound his hands and said, if you go back to Jerusalem, this is what's going to happen to you. And Paul said, I must go. I was called to go. And Paul goes back to Jerusalem, and lo and behold, guess what? A big mob rises up in the middle of the temple, and they're there to kill him. They're going to kill Paul. And what happens? Well, uh, the Romans knew that the Temple Mount could be a dangerous place, and so what do they do? They set up a garrison right there 
the temple. And the soldiers see what's happening and they rush down because they don't want to riot. And they arrest Paul. He didn't do anything wrong. But they saved his life and they arrest him. Now they put him in, into, uh, they, they beat him up because that's standard policy, right? So they beat him fairly thoroughly and then they throw him into prison and they question him. And they find out that he really didn't do anything wrong. But here he is, he's, he's there, and so they keep him safe in this, and so he's got to go through the judicial system. And so he ends up, and he meets with this uh, uh, Herod Agrippa, right? the guy that was kind of in charge of that area, and he meets with him, and he, Paul shares the gospel with this man. Now, this, was a, this guy, um, he could write books on new ways to sin. Right? He was not the most moral of individuals. But there's Paul sharing the gospel with him, telling him what's happening. And Herod's like, I don't want to deal with you. You're not my problem right now. I'm going to send you to Felix, the Roman guy. So he goes up and he, he meets with, with Felix. And he goes before Felix. And Paul, again, shares the gospel and what God is doing and, and all of this. And Felix is, is uh, you know, making fun of him. And Paul continues to just share truth and love with Felix. And uh, eventually, Paul, because he's a Roman citizen, he thinks that Felix isn't going to side with him. So he does something that a Roman citizen, all citizens have the right to do, and he appeals to Caesar. That's like appealing to the Supreme Court. Once you did that, court's over. And you go to Rome, and you stand before Caesar himself. Now, it's a dangerous thing, because Caesar may kill you, or he may side with you. And there was no, like, we have a court system that's based upon precedent, so if something was decided before, we, judges after that have to decide things in that certain way. The Caesars didn't have that. The Caesars could just choose whatever they wanted. And so there was no telling what would happen, but Paul appeals to Caesar because he needs to go to Rome. He wants to share the gospel there. And then after this happens, uh, Felix and, and Agrippa get together and they say, listen, Paul has done nothing wrong. In fact, we would free him. If, if he hadn't appealed to Caesar, we would set him free right now. But because he appealed to Caesar, now he's got to take a journey to Rome in prison, or like in, in, in bondage, in chains. And so here's the line that takes place. So, so they leave. They take this long journey all the way back up to Rome. And it wasn't an easy journey. They get on a boat, and, they, and you can see this is right here. That's the direction of the currents. So you can see how the boats want to hug the landmass, because if you go this way, you can get lost at sea and then you die. And so they wanted to, to head up around so they could always kind of see where the coast was. They would know where they're at. But you'll see that this blue thing, that's kind of the, where the wind normally goes. And that was going against the path, right, the, where they were, were heading. And uh, it made it very difficult. And so they weren't making good time. The ship was, uh, wasn't really uh, doing well. So they end up, and, and they finally... They make it all the way down here to Crete, okay? And as they get to Crete, um, it's late in the season because they made really lousy time, and they left late anyway. And he's on this prison, well, he's on a, he's on a uh, merchant ship, and they make it to this place called Fair Havens. And as you can see, Fair Havens is right here. And so it's exposed by the bottom, and apparently that's not a good place for you to want to have your boat all winter long. But it was a safe place to be. And so this is where I want to read you the actual story. This is so adventurous. I thought, you know what, I, I'm just going to read you the text. It starts in Acts verse 20, uh, chapter 27. And this is Paul's 
what happened once they get to Fair Haven? It said, we had lost so much time that day uh, that the day of fasting had already passed and it was late in the year. Sailing was now dangerous. So Paul advised them, men, we're going to face a disaster and heavy losses on this voyage. This disaster will cause damage to the cargo and the ship and will affect our very lives. Now, however, the officer was persuaded by what the pilot and the owner of the ship said and not by what Paul said. And since the harbor was not a good place to spend to winter, most of the men decided to sail from there. They hoped to reach the city of Phoenix somehow to spend the winter there. Phoenix is a harbor that faces the southwest and northwest and the winds located on the islands of Crete and would block them from them. Now, when the gentle breeze began to blow from the south, the men thought their plan would work and they raised anchor and they sailed close to the shore of Crete. So you will see where they were at. This is they're like, they're down here. They want to get to Phoenix. A gentle wind, gentle breeze. Oh, so nice. You ever been to that place in life? You're just waiting for God to give you an opportunity. And what happens? Gentle wind. They're like, oh, okay, well, that's going to help blow us into the island, right? So we're not going to be lost at sea. And it's going the right direction finally. And they're going to make it up here to Phoenix, which is a much better place to spend the winter. And they think, okay, this is good. So up at this point, so nice. But then it said, soon a powerful wind called a nor'easter now where do you suppose that wind came from northeast right a powerful wind northeast blowing down where do you think it's going to blow them away from the island a powerful one this was scary a powerful wind called a nor'easter blew from the island the wind carried the ship away and we couldn't sail against the wind we couldn't do anything as we were carried along by the wind and as we drifted to the sheltered side of a small island called Caudia, we barely got control of the ship's lifeboat. The men pulled it on deck and they passed ropes under the ship to reinforce it, fearing that they would hit the large sandbank off the shores of Libya. Now, you see where Libya is? That tells you how strong that wind was. These guys were afraid they were going to blow them into Africa. I don't know if you ever on a boat and you thought, man, I'm going to be blown into Africa, but that's a strong wind. It said, so they lowered the sail and they were carried along by the winds. We continued to be tossed so violently by the storm that the next day the men began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's equipment overboard. That's what they would use to fish so that they could eat and not die at sea. That's pretty serious. For a number of days, we couldn't see the sun or the stars. The storm wouldn't let up. It was so severe that we finally began to lose any hope of coming home alive. I don't know if you've ever been part of a storm, maybe not a physical storm, but a storm in life where you haven't seen the sun or the stars. You lose your bearings and it doesn't seem like it's ever going to let up and you've lost all your provisions and you just see no way out. Paul was there in a very physical, real way. So since hardly anyone wanted to eat, Paul stood among them and said, Men, you should have followed my advice not to sail from Crete. We would have avoided this whole disaster and loss. You know, sometimes it's a good time to say I told you so, and other times when you're in a boat full of people who could throw you overboard, I don't know. Uh, but he does. I think he's pointing out, listen, maybe I know what I'm talking about. And he says this, you would have avoided all this disaster and loss, but now I advise you to have, to have courage. No one will lose his life. Only the ship will be destroyed. I know this because an angel from the God to whom I belong 
and whom I serve stood by me last night. The angel told me, don't be afraid, Paul. You must, be present, you must present your case to the emperor. God has granted safety to everyone who is sailing with you, so have courage, men. I trust that God, I trust God that everything will turn out as he told me. However, we will run aground on some island. So, good news first. Bad news. You're going to live, but we're going to wreck. On the 14th night, we were still drifting through the Mediterranean Sea. Now, notice that we, what does that tell you? Luke was with him, who was writing this down. Uh, Luke was also on that boat, <laughs> uh, being tossed around. And it says, unfortunately, we were still drifting through the Mediterranean Sea. And about midnight, the sailors suspected that we were approaching land. So they threw a line with a weight into the water, and it sank to 120 feet. They waited a little while and did the same thing again, and the same line sank to only 90 feet. Fearing we might hit rocks, they dropped four anchors from the back of the ship and prayed for morning to come. The sailors tried to escape from the ship. They let down the lifeboat uh, into the sea and pretended that they were going to lay out the anchors in front of the ship. And Paul told the officers and the soldiers, if these sailors, uh, if these sailors don't stay on the ship, you have no hope of staying alive. And the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboats and let it drift away. And this was desperate. Just before daybreak, Paul was encouraging everyone to have something to eat. This is the 14th day you have wasted and had nothing to eat. So I am encouraging you to eat something. Eating will help you survive, since not a single hair from anyone's head is going to be lost. And after Paul said this, he took some bread, thanked God in front of everyone, broke it, and began to eat. And everyone was encouraged and had something to eat. And there were 276 of us on the ship. After the people had eaten all they wanted, they lightened the ship by dumping the wheat into the sea. In the morning, they couldn't recognize the land, but they could see a bay with a beach. So they decided to run the ship ashore. They cut the anchors free and they left them in the sea. At the same time, they untied the ropes that held the steering oars. Then they raised the topsail to catch the wind and steered the ship to shore. It's like they just gunned it. Just they struck a sandbar, however, in the water and ran the ship aground. The front of the ship stuck and couldn't be moved, while the back of the ship was broken to pieces by the force of the waves. The soldiers had a plan to kill the prisoners to keep them from swimming away and escaping. Remember why they would do this. If the prisoners escaped, the soldiers would have to face the, the crimes or the, the punishment for those prisoners, so it's just easier to kill the prisoners. However, the officer wanted to save Paul, so he stopped the soldiers from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and swim ashore. Then he ordered the rest to follow on planks or some other pieces of wood from the ship. And this way, everyone got to shore safely. And just when you think the storm is done and the trial is passed, it says, when we were safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The people who lived on the island were unusually kind. And they made a fire and welcomed all of us because of the rain and the cold. And you think, oh, that's such a nice ending. Oh, I wish. <laughs> Paul gathered a bundle of brushwood and put it into the fire. The heat forced a poisonous snake out of the brushwood. Kid you not. The snake bit Paul's hand and would not let go. Ah! You know, 
When the people who lived on the island saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. He may have escaped from the sea, but justice won't let him live. Paul shook the snake into the fire and wasn't harmed. But the people were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly just drop dead. But after they had waited for a long time, they saw nothing unusual happen to him. So they changed their minds and said he was a god. Well, that's fickle, you know. (laughs) You see this crazy journey. He wants to go there. They're being blown, tossed about by sea. They think they're going to die, and they end up down here, totally off course, away from where they thought that they... Their plan was. Life was was crazy. And just when they think it's safe, a snake jumps out of the sticks and bites his hand. And everybody thinks, oh, you're this horrible guy. And then they wait for him to die. Can you imagine being Paul? Because he didn't know that God was going to save him from this. He's like, really? But I guess he knew he wasn't going to die because God said, you're going to reach the emperor. And he shakes the snake off. Now, here's the thing with this. Uh, We look at this story from Paul's life. First thing we see, uh, look for him, is that Paul wasn't unusual. Life has storms. It does. Paul knew this. Uh, Paul was, he warned the people on that boat of the danger, but he had to be on that boat because he was a prisoner. If Paul had his way, he still wanted to go to Rome, he would have waited somewhere else. He would have taken a different boat. But sometimes life puts us on the boat we don't even want to be on, and you can see disaster ahead of you. Paul knew it. He knew that it was going to be hard. He even tells them what's going to happen. You're going to lose your cargo. You're going to lose your ship. And our lives are going to be affected. It's going to be hard for us. Paul knew that there was a storm coming in his life, but he didn't just know that because of the weather and because he knew something about travel. Paul was warned by God of danger. In fact, we read the very beginning of Paul's life and ministry in Christ. Remember way back when we talked about Ananias, how God helped him forgive It says this, the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man Paul is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. And Paul is keeping that. But it says, And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I think Paul understood that there was a cost of following Jesus. It wasn't going to be easy. Jesus didn't say, And I will show him how much prosperity he will have in my name. But I want to show him how much he's going to suffer. Paul had fair warning that life wasn't going to be easy in Christ. And I think that helped him because God was square with him. He said, listen, it's not going to be a cakewalk. You're going to do great things, but it's not going to be easy. Life has storms. And and Paul endured these. It was not a simple life for Paul. He was stuck in a technicality. He could be a free man if only he hadn't appealed to Caesar. But it was God's will, actually, that he would appeal to Caesar because God said, you need to go and talk to Caesar, who actually, by the way, at this point was Nero. And the year was AD 60. And Nero was in power only for a few years at this point. Now, in AD 64 is when Nero finally starts the bad persecution against Christians. So it was before Nero really came out hard against Christians, but Nero is already showing himself to be pretty depraved. Uh, He had already killed his his mom and his wife, and he had done some pretty nasty things by this point. But here is Paul, stuck in a technicality, on a boat he didn't want to be on. He gets shipwrecked, and he gets snake-bitten. Right? Not the best month. And there he was. And Paul endured hard time, but you know what? 
this wasn't the only things that Paul had endured. In fact, when Paul writes the Corinthian church before he died, probably in this imprisonment, he writes the, the book of Second Corinthians, and he writes the Corinthians, and he tells them this. Because the Corinthians were being all boastful and prideful about uh, who was more spiritual. And if you had suffered then, then for the gospel, then they would say, you are more spiritual, we're going to listen to you. And isn't it like that? Oftentimes we see Christians who go through difficult times and all of a sudden they have credence in their eyes. I think part of that's, that's good. I mean, uh, think of how much God has used uh, Pastor Hal at Mountain View these last few months. He went through something unbelievably painful and God is now using it in a mighty way. And I think the Corinthians were looking at this and seeing this and they challenged Paul and said, what have you done? And Paul writes to them, he says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. So this wasn't his first go around. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, and in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked, and besides everything else, I face daily the pressures of my concern for all the churches. Paul understood what it means to suffer and he endured. So I think that he has some moral authority to speak to us about how we can endure. Because I don't know about you, but I have never been pelted with rocks or in danger of people actually coming to kill me many times or shipwrecked and floating in the water for, for a day. Paul didn't say, God, why did you do this? God said, you're going to have suffering in this life, but I'm going to carry you through it. Paul understood that life has storms and that served him well. And you know, God didn't just promise Paul hard times. He says to all of us, this world's not going to be easy. Jesus says this in John 16. Now, context. Jesus is going to go to the cross. Jesus knew something about suffering too, and Jesus knew why he was going to the cross. But he also knew the cross wasn't the end, so he tells his disciples right before he dies, the night before he dies, he says, listen, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to come back. And he says, I'm going to tell you these things so that you can have peace. And then he says, because in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So the peace that we have in life doesn't come from us. It comes from Jesus, but Jesus is also very clear with us. Those who follow him, the world is not going to be easy. That's why I have a difficult time with health and wealth preachers. I think that they're selling you something that isn't true. The reality is, is that life was never guaranteed to be easy. In fact, if you are in Christ, there will be difficult things. There will be storms. And I think this is important for us to get because oftentimes when Christians go through stuff that they think, this is way too big for me, the answer is yes, it is. And they say, why is this happening to me? Well, I would say, why not? We've never been given a guarantee in this life that it would be free from pain. We've been given a guarantee that it would have pain. But we've been given something more. We've also been given a promise of peace. That this world, this awful, horrible world will be judged. 
that this world that is so broken will end and God is going to make it right. And there is a new world coming and we live for that world. Life has storms. I and mean, if you don't believe that, if you think that life owes you a free walk, then when hard times come, and they will come, you're going to be dismayed and your faith will be shaken. And you'll say, God, where are you? But I want you to see that even the Apostle Paul faced hardship. God has not abandoned you because of the storm. In fact, maybe God is working in the storm. You remember that little island of Malta? They were willing to worship a guy because a snake didn't kill him. Do you know what Paul got to do? He got to plant a church there because they spent the whole, <laughs> they spent a, a long time down there. He spreads the gospel there. He was able to save many folks. That little island became a little beacon of Christianity in the Roman world. There were people that would have gone to hell and spent eternity there and lost in their sin, in their ignorance of God. But God sent a storm. And the gospel arrived on Malta. You know, there are storms in life. But here's the thing that we also have to see is that God has us. God has us. We have to believe this. It is so true. Remember what Paul said? He says, Last night an angel of the Lord, to whom I belong and to whom I serve, stood before me. And he said, Don't be afraid, Paul. Paul's in the middle of a dark ocean that's got waves going over the top with sailors running about saying, We're going to die and we have no hope. And people aren't even eating. In the midst of that, God shows up and says, have peace. You're not going to die. In fact, as a favor, all these other people are going to, be live, are going to live too. God has us. You may feel like you are lost in the middle of the ocean, but if you are with God, you are never lost. God is there with you. That's why Jesus promised. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's why he said when he gave us the Great Commission, I will be with you even to the very end of the age. God doesn't take a break. He doesn't have a vacation. He has no time off. He is with you day and night, 24-7. And if you are in a storm, he is in that storm with you. And I will tell you this, that the Jesus who is able to stand up and say, be quiet to the waves and the, and the air and the wind, is able to stop the storms of our life like this at any point that he wants to. But sometimes he doesn't quiet our storms. Sometimes he quiets us and he gives us peace. And that's our God. He has us. He doesn't just have us. I, I put that up there, didn't I? Is this Romans? This is Paul writing again in Romans chapter 8. And if you want to read about victory over difficult circumstances, Romans 8 is a good chapter to go to. And this is what Paul writes. He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches for our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. You understand that, that God is talking to God on your behalf. When you don't know what to ask for, God is there. He's always asking for the best things in your life. He will never abandon you. It's not as though he's ambivalent he knows the details of where you are at, and he is making sure that things are going to work out well. That's why this last passage that we love to memorize, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purposes. There's a reason for that. God is engaged. See, God has a plan for our life, and he has a plan for the storms. We have to get that. This world has storms. Everybody suffers. But only believers have the knowledge and the peace that God has us. 
And he will carry us in the storms. And he is making sure that we have everything we need. It's not as though you have to wonder, have I prayed the right things? Have I asked for the right stuff? Is God going to be present for me in this? God himself is saying, right now, when you're in the middle of your storm, he's saying, Heavenly Father, give them everything that they need. He is opening the doors for you so that you can make it through. He is giving you the power of perseverance. And you will make it through. See, God is not distant. We have to understand that. He's sending us into the storm because there's stuff that has to happen in the midst of that storm. He is bringing his peace into this world. He is with us. God has us. And he will never lose us. And because of that, we have victory. Not some kind of spiritual pie in the sky, distant, happy thought victory, which we also have that. We have victory now then. Because the storms may be too much for me, but they are tiny compared to God. They understand that, that we have victory in suffering. Paul was saved from the ocean. He was saved from a poisonous snake. He was saved from an angry mob. He was saved from everything that God needed him to be saved from. He had victory in life. In fact, Paul understood this. In the midst of the ocean, he said, guys, eat. When all the experts were freaking out, he said, take some meals. We're going to shipwreck. You're going to need it, but we'll all be okay. Not even a hair of your head is going to perish. Paul had peace in the midst of storm because he knew God had him, and therefore he knew where he was at was exactly where God needed him to be, and he was fine. He had peace. That's why Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but I have overcome this world. See, we have victory in suffering. Paul tells us in, in Romans 8, 17, 18. Now, actually, I think I even have this. So you can read it. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, do you get that? Time and time again in Scripture, it's not as if we just share with him all the good things. But in this world, we're going to suffer. If we indeed share with him his sufferings in order that we may also share in glory. Just as Christ had purpose in his suffering, God has purpose for ours too. If you are in Christ, there's a reason. There's something that God is doing, something amazing. It says this, I consider that our present suffering are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I understand that this world is defeated. Jesus has overcome this world. If you are in Christ, not one single thing is going to touch you that God is not working in and God is not working through. And God's not going to abandon you in this. And you know what? Some amazing things. It tells us that at the end, he will actually reward us. There will actually be an amazing amount of peace. And he says, you know what? When you get to the other side and you look back on your life, the things now that seem like these massive mountains of horribleness, you're going to look back to and you're going to say, man, what an adventure. Well, that was totally worth it. Now that I know what God did, totally worth it. Now I will tell you, I have storms in my life that right now I can't say that about. I can't. I would trade them in a second because I don't have that perspective yet. I haven't been there, but I know by faith that there will come a time when I stand in eternity and I look back on my life, I will say, God, you were even good in that. I will never get it here, but I trust that when I'm there, whatever it is, there is victory in it, that there was not a suffering that entered my life that doesn't have purpose, powerful purpose. Good things are happening, especially through the pain. So we have victory in it. In fact, Paul says that in the midst of our suffering, that's sometimes that we should actually boast in those things. Be happy. 
Because God is at work and He's doing things. And wouldn't it be horrible if you got to heaven and had a lame old life? What did you do? I sat on a beach. And I sipped nice tropical cocktails and that's what I did. You get to heaven for eternity and you'd be hearing about people who had adventure and amazing things that they did and did stuff of purpose with their life. And you'd be like, wow, I missed out. God is at work. And He gives us victory in the suffering, but that's not all. He gives us victory in the trials and the hardship. A little later, verses 35 through 37, He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or naked or danger or sword? That pretty much covers it. Is there anything in this world that could separate us from God? No. As is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. But get this, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We have not just victory in suffering, but also in the very hardships themselves. Why? Because God loves us. You are his child. He is carrying you through. He is doing important things. He's doing powerful things in you. And there is nothing in this world that's going to remove you from his his love. You are in his family. If you've come to Jesus in faith, you are in his family. There's nothing in life. You can't look at your life, and there are horrible things. Horrible things have happened recently. And we look at that and could just say from a very human perspective, God, why have you done this? Do you hate me? Because the pain is so much, and I don't see the purpose at all. But the reality is this. God knows what it's like to lose the most important things. He knows what it's like to suffer. But he has this. He will always hold you. And he will carry you through. And he will make good on his promise. He was going to redeem this. And you might not know how. You may be like a sailor on the ocean thinking there is no hope. We have no food, no way to get food. We have no stars. We don't know where we're at. We're lost and there's a horrible storm. We're doomed. Everything's too big. But God still has you. And in the midst of this says, you know what? It doesn't matter how bad things are. God still loves you. So cling to that. And if he loves you, he has a purpose for you. And if he has a purpose for you, he's going to bring that purpose to fruition. Good things. Ultimately, great things. So even in the hardship, that's why we said we can boast in this. But we don't just have victory in the hardships. We have victory in all things. And this is why. Paul, you might say, how do I have victory in hardships and these difficult things? Paul tells us. He says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons nor present nor the future nor any powers nor the height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. You understand that this world is a done deal. I don't know if you, there was a big fight last night between these two guys. It's supposed to be the fight of the century. I'll tell you the fight of, of the eternity was God versus our rebellion. And the victory has been won. It was a unanimous decision. Jesus got out of the tomb. It was a KO for sin and death and destruction and hopelessness. God isn't fooling around. He came to save us and he saves us. He came to restore dignity and hope and life and peace and purpose. And he did it. It is not even a close call in this life. We're going to face hardships. There are going to be storms. There are going to be bad things. But he's overcome. He said, in this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart. Overcome this world so we can have peace. And we can live with purpose in this life. Because the last thing you want to do is waste the suffering. God's not going to waste it. 
He's going to do good things through it. But for us, we don't want to waste what God is doing. As I bring this, this whole message to a close, I want you to really hear this from the depth of my soul because this is truth. When life is horrible, you have to understand that God told us life is going to have storms, but God has us. And because of that, we have victory. So don't give up. You know that suffering creates endurance. And that endurance that we have, that creates character. See, it wasn't the very first hospitalization that my wife went through that I was happy with God or willing to admit that he had anything decent that he was going to do through this. It wasn't the fifth or the tenth hospitalization that I was at that point. Uh, There was a long time where I was fighting against God saying, why these sufferings? What did we do to deserve them? Nothing. I didn't do anything. My wife didn't do anything to deserve that. This world's just broken. There's just storms. Paul didn't deserve to be shipwrecked. Why did you bring this into my life? This world is broken. Surprise. But I came to a point where I recognized that God has me. And he has my wife. And he has his congregation. And he has our town. You know, God is good. He has us. He's praying. He's never abandoned me. He finds purpose in these things. And God has opened amazing doors of opportunity to bless and to minister and to help and to serve other people because of the suffering. God has us. And because of that, we have victory. We have victory in this life. We can hold our heads high in the midst of the hardship because our God is good and he's powerful and he has one. Not that he will win. He has one. And we are him. So persevere. Suffering creates endurance. So let it create endurance. Get to that point where you get to the end of you and then you're going to find that God is what carries you. And he will carry you. And there are times that you say, I don't know how I'm going to make that next step. But you know what? You're going to make that next step. You will. And you're going to take the step after that and the step after that and the step after that. And you're going to pass through the valley of the shadow of death and you're going to fear no evil because God is with you. We have victory. doesn't mean it's always going to be fun. But it does mean that we can have joy. Because the suffering of every storm ends. When the storm ends on the other side, we will stand with God and we, will, and we will see things from a whole new perspective. And at that point, there is peace and joy and prosperity and all those wonderful things. So what do we do? Well, you can take your connection card out, that green card. I have some ideas, some things to help get you those next steps. Maybe the first thing is to memorize Romans 5, 4. Why? Because in the midst of your suffering, when life gets hard and your endurance wanes, and you say, God, what are you doing? Maybe he's building endurance in you, not because he wants you to have the superpower of endurance, because he's building character in you. And as God builds character into you, you're going to get something that no one else in this world can have, and you will have confidence. You will know that no matter what, just like Paul said, it doesn't matter how good or bad life is, God is with me. Let him build that kind of peace into your life. If you feel tossed and beat up by the storms of life, you say, God, where are you? And you don't have peace and you're staying up late at night wondering what's going to happen. Man, let this verse carry you. Let it remind you that God is at work in your life. So don't give up. Just take that next step. That's all you got to do. Live tomorrow. Just do the next thing. 
Let God help carry you. Let that perseverance create, create character. And as that character builds in your life and God changes you from the inside out, you're going to gain a confidence that nothing in this world can shake, a peace that no one can stop. You'll be literally unstoppable in this world until God calls you home. So memorize this. If that's what you need, let him carry you. How about this? Maybe read Acts 27, 28 and Romans 8. 27 and 28 talks about a, a shipwreck. I read it to you. It's a pretty great story. You'll have different versions in your Bible that might read a little different. Same story. It's awesome. But I want you to read Romans 8 because I want you to see that what God did for Paul on a boat is the same thing he does for all of us every day. And to see it from the heavenly perspective, from the theological side, what does God do so you don't give up in the midst of your suffering? And you can let God do his amazing work. Or how about this? Pray for endurance and faith. You are in a scary place right now, and things are hard, and you don't know what to do. You may not even know what to pray for. The Holy Spirit's got you covered. He's praying that maybe you ask God for simply this endurance. God, give me what I need to continue, because I don't know how. Now, maybe it's faith. Maybe I was at a place where my faith was totally rocked. I said, I can't stay. I can either trust my, my life, what I see, or I can trust what the Bible says, but I can't, I can't keep my feet in both boats. Because my life says that God is really mean and life is really hard and that there is no hope and the world is too big. And yet my faith tells me that God loves me and he's got a purpose for me and he's, he's overcome this world. I couldn't straddle both forever. Maybe that's where you're at. And I had to go to a place of faith. I was either going to trust what my eyes saw from this very limited perspective or I was going to trust what God's word tells me from the very big perspective. I chose God. And after that, God gave me peace. Maybe that's what you need to say, God, help me hold to faith. I need faith. Maybe that's what you pray for this week, endurance and faith. Or how about this? Maybe you're not in a storm right now. Isn't that awesome if you're not in a storm? I love those times. The still waters are great things. But if you're there, God has worked for you too. He carried you through the storm for a reason. It says you've suffered things so you can help others who suffer those same things. Maybe you're at a place right now that you are in a taste of, of, of still waters. Then do something. Encourage others who are in the midst of a storm in their life. How are you going to do that? I don't know. Maybe you give them a call. Say, hey, let's go have coffee. Or maybe you write them a nice note this week. But this week, do something to encourage someone you know is going through a difficult time. I will tell you, for somebody who is in the midst of a storm, it means the world to know that you're not alone. And that's what we we're called to do as a body of Christ, as fellow believers. Let's encourage one another. So if that's what you need to do this week, do it. Be proactive and let God minister through you. Maybe there's something else that I didn't think of. That's quite likely. Make sure you write that down so I can pray for this week. Maybe there's another decision that you need to make. Let us know, and we'll be praying for you. Or maybe there's a prayer request that you have. God hears our prayers, and he does amazing things. So write them down and let us know. Here in a second, we're going to take our offering. As we take our offering, I encourage you, please drop these into the offering basket along with your tithes and your offerings. And let all of this just be giving a piece of yourself to God, investment into his kingdom, and let's see what he can do. All right, well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful to you. You are powerful and you're good and you are mighty, but you're more than that. You're present and you're loving and, and you are the overcomer. You are the first. You are the ones who, who ended the reign of death in this world and you've brought us peace and life and presence with you and you've given us love. So God, we're going to ask you, carry us through the storm. We're thankful that you will. Now, Father, for these commitments that are being made, I pray that you help us not just do something good, Father, that you would make us something good, that you would change us from the inside out to be more and more like you in our character and our hope and our image. Father God, I pray, Lord, that you would use our suffering to bring about amazing 
things to help others in this world. Bring your peace into this chaotic life. Help us to encourage one another, Lord. And Father, we pray for our tithes and our our gifts and the offerings that are being made to, Lord. Bless those. Father, thank you that you always take care of us. Now I pray that you use these things to build your kingdom and your hope and your good news that Jesus has overcome and us along with him uh, just because you love us. Father, do that for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.